Hey, welcome to Home Church Podcast. It is a good day to have a good day. I'm Pastor Jerry Kuhn, and I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. My hope is that you will respond to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in and through this message today. And I believe that he will draw you into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, where you are passionate about loving God, doing good, and being a friend. I hope that you enjoy the message today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you that as we go into this time where we're in the word, as we go into this time where you want to speak to us through your word, God, I pray, and I always pray this, God, but I guess it's just because I know what it's like to face condemnation. So God, I don't know. We have so many different walks of life here today, and my prayer is that we would not be bogged down by the things that we've experienced, the places that we've been, the things that we've walked through. God, my prayer is that we would just take you at your word this morning, that we would just know you are good and that your love endures forever. Father, my prayer is that as we get into your word, that the truth is revealed and that hell will lose people, Father God. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, hey, do me a favor and say good morning to somebody before you're seated. It may be across the room. Good morning. Good morning. You may be seated this morning. Well, good morning. Good morning, home church. How are you? I know what you're thinking. Some of you guys are like, why is the youth pastor preaching today? Okay, listen, they announced it last week, so don't be upset, all right? They announced it last week. That's all I'm going to say. Take it up with my boss, all right? Hey, listen, uh, for for this last month, well, let me just back up for a second. For those of you that don't know, Pastor Jerry and Pastor Kelly is gone today. They're going to be ministering in Clinton, Oklahoma to a brother and sister church. And so as we get started in our service, as a leadership team, we prayed for them this morning. But I just want to pray for them um, as a church this morning. Can we do that? Can we just pray for them as they're, as they're out and they're ministering, um, that God would just use them in a mighty way. And we're also just going to pray over our service. God, thank you. Uh, thank you for being with Pastor Jerry and Pastor Kelly. Thank you, Lord God, that your word would just fall, um, that love would enter the room. Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would guide them and that you would send revival to Clinton, Oklahoma. God, we thank you for just using our pastors today and their giftings, uh, their ability to encourage. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, that you have so many great things in store for their ministry. Lord, we're so thankful for it. Lord, we pray that you would just keep your hand on our hometown today. We pray that you'd keep your hand on our service and that we would have a good time in the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. And everybody said, hey, listen, if you have Pastor Jerry or Pastor Kelly's number, I just want you to send them a little bit of encouragement. And this is what that looks like. It's just three letters. I just want you to send them a text that says SOS. Like, just send them a text. Like, don't, don't explain it. If they call, don't answer. Like, just send them a text. Some of you guys are like, man, that's messed up. You got to keep them young. Okay? You got to keep them young. The blame's on me. I'm being recorded right now, so they'll know who was the mastermind behind all of it. But listen, we have been in this series called This Easter. And you know, it's like in this month of the year, we talk a lot about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talk a lot about the fact that Jesus came and that he died for you and I sinned. That while you and I were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And I'm very thankful for that. 
I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to live in the old covenant of rules and regulations and always striving for perfection. I can't imagine just, just how taxing it was on people. But when Jesus came, you and I were free of that. And now we've been asked and able to enter into an intimate relationship with him. So the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. But the beautiful thing is you and I can build on that foundation. I want to talk to you this morning about what happened after Easter. I want to talk to you about what happened after Easter. And here is, I want to go to John chapter 20, verse 19. And I'm just going to read it. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week. He's not talking about Monday. Some of y'all need to hear this. He's talking about Sunday. Sunday when Jesus was resurrected. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Can I just paint the picture for you of what the disciples are going through in this moment? They have watched Jesus be crucified. They're traumatized. They're now hiding from the Jewish leaders. They're now hiding. They're in this room alone. And I can just imagine what it was like to be in that room. The depression that filled the room. The anxiety that filled the room. The fear of the future that filled that room. And though nobody was saying a word, I believe there was a question that was arising in every single one of these disciples. I believe they were asking this question of what now? What do we do now? Now that Jesus has been crucified, now that this man that we left our jobs to follow is no longer here, now that this man that we've been striving to be like so much over the last few years and that we've given everything up to chase after, what do we do now? And so that's the title of my message this morning. I want to talk about what now. And we're just going to read the, the rest of that story, John chapter 20 verse 20 through 23 and it says this it said after he had said this he showed them his hands and he showed them his side the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the lord again jesus said peace be with you as the father has sent me i am sending you and with that he breathed on them and said receive the holy spirit if you forgive anyone's sins their sins are forgiven and if you do not forgive them they are not forgiven awkward silence while i drink my water so just to summarize the story jesus shows up in the midst of the anxiety in the midst of the depression, in the midst of everything that they were going through, in the midst of the trauma, Jesus shows up. And the word says that they were overjoyed when they realized he was in the room. Hear what I'm saying. I don't know exactly what you're facing. I don't know what you're going through. But I think there's this sense of joy. I think there's this sense of relief in every single one of our lives when we realize he's a lot closer to us than we think. Hear what I'm saying this morning. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt so alone and you felt so depressed and you felt so worried? 
But somehow, some way, you were reminded. Maybe it was the gesture of a friend. Maybe it was a text. Maybe it was a scripture. Maybe it was a situation that reminded you that God's a lot closer than it seemed in that moment. And there was some encouragement that came with that. But I want you to notice, Jesus, there's not a whole lot of catching up that happens here. Like Jesus shows up and he shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And the next thing you know, he says, peace be with you. And he breathed the Holy Spirit onto them. But notice the very first thing that he says in verse 21, peace be with you. And I believe that the disciples were in a situation, they were in a circumstance where they needed the true source of peace. Where they needed something that they could hold on to. They needed something that was real. They needed something that was going to get them through a hard time. And so when Jesus shows up, it says that he breathed the Holy Spirit onto them. And I truly believe that the true source of peace in my life and in your life is the spirit of truth. In this moment, Jesus breathes the spirit of truth onto them. He breathes the Holy Spirit onto them. And it's in that moment that you and I are reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. I just want to read this to you. It's crazy because this is six chapters earlier. Don't you guys know that the Holy Spirit will bring things to your remembrance, words that you've gotten in the past that are for such a time as this? And when I, when I pray, like when Pastor Jerry let me know that I was going to be preaching today, the first thing I thought was, poor church. Um, that's the first thing that I thought. But the second thing was this. I said, my prayer is always this, and I don't know what conditioned me. I, I imagine it's the Holy Spirit, but my prayer was this. My prayer is never that when I preach, I'm going to say something elaborate, that I'm going to be Stephen Furtick Jr., or that I'm going to be, you know, some of you guys are like, who's Stephen Furtick? It, you just got to get on podcast or YouTube or something like that. But my, my point is, I never pray that I'm going to preach something fancy or, or something eloquent. My prayer a lot of the times is that I'm going to preach something that is on time. Because that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. You and I don't have to get up here and try to over-represent God because he's going to show up. The Bible says where two or more are gathered, he's in the midst of it. And so when I come in here, my prayer is, God, allow me to preach something that is in season. Allow me to preach something that your church needs. And it's beautiful because we actually see that in context. We see that displayed that Jesus spoke this word six chapters before this situation ever arose. I just want to read it to you. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus said this. He's talking to his disciples and he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace. Everybody say my peace. You're welcome, Lance. Lance doesn't like when I have people repeat after me. (laughs) Um, So, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And I think about that word that Jesus gave way before this ever happened. Jesus gives them this word that he's going to leave his peace with them. And I, can, and I have to tell you, the sad thing to me is that there's so many people searching for a true source of peace today. And can I tell you, you and I can be a part of that solution And when we offer people to know Christ. I really believe that. 
my struggle sometimes with preaching on this word is the fact that, you know, there's so much, there's so much sometimes like, it seems like a political agenda because denominations spend messages on the Holy Spirit in different ways. And I don't want to get up here and, and push an agenda when it comes to the Holy Spirit, but I need to let you know today, you and I have to have him in our lives. You and I have to grow in him. You and I cannot afford to be away from the Spirit of God because I truly believe that it's only by the Spirit that we can live in peace even in the midst of persecution. It's only by the Spirit that we can live in peace even in the midst of persecution. If I was to, to define what persecution is this morning, it's hostility and ill treatment, suffering caused by one's belief. Can I tell you, I understand that you and I live in America and that we don't see the entirety of persecution, but that doesn't mean that it's not expanding. It doesn't mean that it's not still happening. It doesn't mean that it's not out there. Does that make sense? And so as we talk about persecution, I want you to know we all have faced persecution for our faith, maybe just in smaller or different aspects. Maybe when you got saved, it was a family member or a close friend um, and, and that relationship parted. Maybe it's the way that you raise your kids that honestly the world is teaching so hard against and it's so hard to continue to be that good example when the world has a twisted value system and they're wanting to teach things that you and I just simply do not agree with. I think of persecution in so many different aspects. And so when you look at John chapter 16 verse 33, I think you and I have to be encouraged that even though we go through things and even though we face trials and even though things are happening in our life and in our faith, we can hold on to Jesus' words in John chapter 16, verse 33, where he said, I have told you these things. Aren't you guys glad that God speaks to us? I have told you these things. When somebody looks at me, like, like when my wife says, I told you this, my thought process is, okay, I should know this. Like, like, I should know this. And so when Jesus says, I have told you these things, it's like he's already briefed them. He's prepared them. This isn't a surprise. This is something that, that we know. So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I can only imagine the things that you and I are faced with. I can only imagine, you know, so many times we come in here and we smile, but I wonder what's going on behind the smile. I wonder what's going on behind us being here. And, you know, a lot of times we use Christian lingo like, oh, brother, I'm blessed and highly favored. Like, you know, praise God. You guys are laughing. Laughter is an immense guilt. But, you know, how many times, do, you know, I've heard people say, <laughs> I've heard people say, fake it till you make it. But... I have to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that because I believe that if you and I fake it till we make it, there comes a point where it will break us. I think there's a, a reality of where you and I need to have somebody sincerely that we can go to. I think there's a reality that you and I need to have somebody that is helping us through life. I think that the church was intended to be a lot more than a place where we were worried about attendance and that we treated it somewhat like a country club where if it wasn't exactly to our preference, we were going to go down the street. You guys are like, why is the youth pastor preaching on something so deep like this? So my question to you this morning is, what do we do now? Like the disciples, now that we're in need of peace. Now that we're in need 
of comfort now that you and I need to have somebody something to do life with what do we do now if you look at Romans 8 6 I truly if I could answer that question really quickly what do we do now I believe it's time for the church to walk in the spirit of God that's what I believe. I believe it's time for the church to walk in the spirit of God. Listen to what's said in Romans 8, 6. It says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You know, I touched on this a little bit last time I had preached. I touched on this a little bit about guarding your mind thinking about what you're thinking about you and i cannot grow in the spirit or walk in the spirit if we are not intentionally setting our mind on spiritual matters and we are not intentionally setting our mind on growing in the spirit because here's the thing i want you to notice what happened in this story as the disciples were together as they were fearful as they were hiding from the jewish leaders can i tell you that satan's tactic today that the church would cower down, that the church would hide within the four walls, and that we would preach the truth in here. Satan's okay with that, but the one thing that drives Satan absolutely crazy is when we take it outside of here. When it goes into our community, when it goes into our homes, when it goes into our schools, when it goes into the workplace, that's the thing that scares Satan the absolute most, is devoted Christians that are willing to take the gospel out of here into the world. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? I'm about to start amen in myself. <laughs> amen, brother. No, I'm just kidding. I mean that, though. That's the, that's the truth. That's the, that honest to God is the truth to me. Is that it's, you never really mind if somebody, if there's a fire, if it's controlled, there's no panic. But it's when it gets out of control for the enemy that he starts freaking out. It's when he no longer feels like he can have his thumb on it that he starts getting worried. And I think the reality is that you and I have to be bold enough to spread the good news. I think that's where it starts. But what produces boldness? I truly believe it's being led by the Spirit. If you look at the beginning church, if you look at the early church all throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament, you find a people, a place, a church that is led by the Spirit where they are doing incredible things and it's not because of them it's because of the leading of the holy spirit whatever happens here today is not because of me it's because of the leading of the holy spirit whatever conviction falls today is not because of me or not because of you but simply because the leading of the holy spirit and i truly believe god is looking for a people that is willing to be sent god is looking for a people that is willing to be inconvenienced by this thing we call christianity God is looking for a people that is willing to put their self behind others and lead from the middle. But it seems like we've gotten away from words like this because they're uncomfortable. And we worry sometimes that if we preach something that's uncomfortable, will people show back up? I want you to look at verse 21 again. Jesus said, peace be with you. And notice the very next thing he says. He says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am now sending you. Notice, uh, you study this scripture right here. That word as says it all. 
It's such a small word, but it makes such a huge difference in the context of what's taking place. When Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I am sending you, what he was telling the disciples was, you were to live out the very life that I lived while I was here. This is nothing new. You've been following me. You've been studying me. You've been desiring more of me. And now I pass this off to you. I'm going to go be with the Father, but fear not because I'm sending you a helper. And it's like in this moment, it's a beautiful moment if you look at it through a spiritual lens of Jesus handing off the baton to the early church. That he believed in his people enough that not only did he die for them, but when he rose again, he empowered them, knowing that they would make mistakes, knowing they wouldn't be perfect, knowing that the world would call them hypocrites when they messed up, knowing that they would be judged very, very, very closely, knowing that they would be persecuted. And I think those are the same reasons you and I today struggle with accepting the baton. I think it's why you and I today struggle with allowing God to send us and submitting our life because we honestly don't know what people will think of it. And it's bad enough because we worry about the world, what the world's going to think. But it's sad that we've got to a point where we've got to worry about what the church would think as well. And maybe this just, maybe this just witnesses to myself this morning. But I have to tell you, there's something about saying, God, send me. There's something about saying, God, I'm open and I'm willing to receive your spirit. And not just receive it, but God, I'm willing to be led by it. Look at verse 23 with me. This verse, this verse, I was, like, I was scratching my head when I first read this verse until I studied a little bit more about it and then it made even more sense. In verse 23, he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive their sin, their sin is not forgiven. Think about that for a second. Do you and I truly, I mean, ask yourself, do you and I truly have the ability to forgive man's sin? Not that, not that you and I can't forgive somebody. We can forgive somebody. We can, we can choose to give forgiveness. We can, we can choose to not hold uh, towards somebody in our own personal life. But to say that you and I could truly forgive man's sins. So I was hung up by that. And I was like, Lord, what does this scripture mean? And as I studied it, here's the one thing that I realized Jesus wasn't saying that you and I could actually forgive sin or we could choose that somebody would not be forgiven of their sin. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, now that I'm gone and that I've handed this baton off to you, what he was saying was, it is now your obligation to go into all the world and to everybody and preach the gospel. And the places that you're willing to go and the people you're willing to minister to, they're going to receive the good news. But the, I need you to understand, church, the places you're not willing to go and the places you're not willing to minister to, and the people you're not willing to be a light to because they get on your nerves or, or you know, whatever the case is, he's saying you are keeping those people from the privilege of hearing the good news. You study that scripture and you realize what he was saying. He was saying, here's the baton. It is now your obligation to go into all the world, regardless of your feelings, regardless of what you think of them, because at one point and one time you were unworthy too, and I'm handing this to you because I love you. You didn't earn this. This isn't yours because you did something amazing. It's because I did. And so I'm asking you, I'm not just asking you, but I'm commissioning you to give it to the rest of the world because they need to know that there's somebody that believes in them 
past what they believe in their self. There's something to be said about a church that doesn't live by their preferences, but lives by their spirit, which isn't always going to be based off of your emotions. And you're going to have to do things outside of your comfort. You're going to have to do things outside of your preference. You're going to have to do things outside of your feelings because they glorify Christ. And can I tell you, we have a, let's start here. We have a whole town, a whole, a whole area that needs to know Christ. And how many people, listen, I'm not going to lie. Yes, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. I, I love God. That doesn't mean people don't still get on my nerves. <laughs> that doesn't mean I get along with everybody. But my point in what I'm saying is, do you and I love God so much that we're willing to be sacrificial in our walk with him instead of just always doing the things that make us comfortable? Because what we know about comfort is that it will isolate you and it will contain you to a point where you're no longer willing to grow. And you're no longer willing to go. And we live by our preference and our comfort to the point where we quit taking his word over our own. And that's a dangerous place to be. He said, it's now your obligation to spread the gospel. And I think that as we read throughout the rest of the New Testament, the disciples did just that. When you exit out of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find yourself in the books of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. And what you find in Acts is the beginning of the church, the early church expanding. And what I'm like, listen, every preacher has their bread and butter like place that they like to preach from. And Acts 2 is mine because it talks so much about what the church was intended to be. And I'm so sensitive to that because I want to be a part of a church that God's proud of. I want to be a bride that he loves and that he accepts and that he adores and that he honors. I want to be a part of a church that God, you can see God all in it. And so as we look in Acts chapter 2, I just want to summarize the first 16 verses for you. It says that the, the believers were gathered together. That as they were gathered, gathered together, it was like a powerful windstorm came rushing in. And that the Holy Spirit broke out and that men were speaking a heavenly utterance that the spirit of God just went loose in the building and that there were people that were astonished and amazed at the sight of the moving of God's spirit that men from different nationalities were speaking different languages and there were people that witnessed this and took it into account but on the contrary to that there were people that laughed and there were people that scoffed and there were people that made fun of and there are people that said as the Holy Spirit was moving, they said that these people were drunk. They, they made fun of them. And then we find that Peter stands up. Peter stands up in this moment and he says, guys, what do you mean they're drunk? It's 9 a.m. in the morning. I know for some of us that's not impossible. No, I'm kidding. Your face, some of your faces, that wasn't funny. I'm sorry. Listen, I don't need to, okay, it just kicked in. Uh, I don't need to know your past. It's all good. Uh, take that to Pastor Jerry. I don't, I don't deal with the heavy stuff. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But listen, he says, how in the world can they be drunk? It's nine in the morning. He said, this isn't, this isn't drunkenness. This is the Holy Spirit. This isn't crazy. There's nothing weird about this. There's something holy about this there's something that we should be in reverence in there's something that we should stop and just take an account for what happened he says don't you know what the prophet joel had prophesied 
And as before I read what the prophet Joel prophesied, I want to tell you that it's only by the Holy Spirit that you and I will see the church reach its full potential. Because what Jesus was saying to the disciples was this is only possible if you accept my help. If you accept my spirit. If you allow him to guide you and help you along this journey. In the, in the book of Acts, we see so many miracles because the Holy Spirit moved. And can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit still moves today. The Holy Spirit still wants to empower our lives today. The Holy Spirit still wants to be involved in your life today. He has not changed. He's not gone away. Nothing. When Jesus said, here it is and I'm going, there's no other scripture that, that contradicts that. So I need you to understand there's something powerful about you and I accepting God at his word. I want to just read to you Acts chapter 2, verse 17 through 21. And I really want you to think, what would the church be like if we were experiencing this, if we would hold on to this promise right here? Peter is telling the guys that were making fun, he said, this is what the prophet Joel had prophesied. He said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. Can I just say something real quick? And I know you guys believe this because this is the kind of church we are. God calls men and women alike to the ministry. There are women preachers out there that are very anointed. There are, there, I need you to understand, there's this weird stigma and tradition and religiousness that never had anything to do with the word of God. God calls men and women alike. His spirit falls on men and women alike. And so I just want to explain something to you. It says, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, billow of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on in this moment as he, as he brings to their remembrance what the prophet Joel had prophesied. And he goes over verses 17 through 21 with them. It's amazing because the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. You know what cut to the heart means? It means convicted. They were, as they heard the word of God, as the Holy Spirit continued to move, they found themselves convicted of the very thing that they wanted no part of, the very thing that they laughed at, the very thing that they thought they were not in need of. They now find themselves saying this. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And if I could add, now. What do we do now? Because it was like in this moment, they were finally like sobered to the fact that they needed the Holy Spirit in their life. That it wasn't a game, that it wasn't a joke, that they could not live without his guidance and protection in their life. And so they find themselves asking what do we do now? What do we do now? You know what I truly believe? I truly believe their repentance was a result of a great move of the Holy Spirit. That's what I believe. I believe that that's exactly what re repentance is. I mean, the scripture tells us, you know, that repentance, if you were to find repentance, it's to, it's to have a change of heart, it's to have a change of mind. 
But the Holy Spirit can only bring that kind of transformation. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that can really bring that kind of truths to our life, that the Lord has revealed to people. I believe the church is, in still, is still in need of the Holy Spirit and his moving today. I believe there were three really important things that we find in this story. If you'll notice, here's, here's the first thing that I want to say to you today. The Holy Spirit provides accountability to our lives. The Holy Spirit provides accountability to our lives. When we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, there is a new sense of conviction for what we condone, for what we support, and for what we allow. And if you'll find that as these men are laughing and as they're joking and as they're kind of, you know, they're, they're heckling amongst themselves, Peter stands up and he, it's like he holds them accountable to God's word. You know, there's a, there's a saying that one of my best friends, uh, you know, we met when we were selling cars together and just two young men that were trying to serve God um, in, in the midst of everything that we do in our lives. And we went out for coffee and it was right at the beginning of our friendship. And this is a verse um, that really built our friendship that one of my closest friends, Proverbs 27, 6, I always say this to my friends and to my brothers. I always say wounds. This is something I live by. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. (laughs) Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. But notice what that said, a sincere friend. If you want to make a difference in someone's life, if you want to make an impact, you got to have a relationship. And we can't have a relationship with people that we avoid. And we can't have a relationship with the community that we're not in. And we can't have a relationship with those that need it the most if all we do is sit in here and think about ourselves. It says, he said, he said, the wounds of a sincere friend are better than kisses from an enemy. If I'm in the wrong, don't support me. If I'm, if, if I'm doing something wrong in my, in my marriage and I bring that to you confidentially as a friend, don't, don't take my side. Something, something about having those friends that are willing to tell you the truth because there's now this new level of accountability that the Holy Spirit has brought to their life and to yours. And as a result, it is now a foundation of that relationship. I think we need more friends that are willing to tell the truth. I think we need more friends that are willing to be the church and speak the truth in love when things are getting hard. To no longer enable us when we're, when we're far from where we need to be. To no longer, to no longer have our back in, in moments where we need to allow correction in our lives. But listen to what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that you and I need to go around correcting one another. If that's what you're hearing, you're missing my heart. What I'm saying is I believe that because this place was meant to be a safe place, because this place was meant to be an intimate place where we could bring our burdens, and it wasn't just supposed to be a place of reputation, but a place of repentance. This wasn't just supposed to be a place of reputation where we tuck our shirt in, we comb our hair, we come in, we speak Christian lingo, we leave, nothing ever changes in our life. I think the church has too much potential, too much power for that. I think this has to be a place where it is like a family. I think that when people walk through those doors, they need to experience a love that they've never felt anywhere else. And they need to feel at home like they've never felt anywhere else. And they need to feel like they are welcome, that they have somewhere they can belong before they ever believe. Hear what I'm saying this morning. 
Proverbs 27, 17 says this. It says, it's iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. This is, this is God's desire for our relationships. When you think of iron sharpening iron, I think a lot of times we think of a, a blade going through a sharpener over and over again. But if you actually look at the context of what this verse is talking about, it's talking about a piece of iron getting stuck in a furnace until it's boiling hot and then it's brought out and it's put on a surface and that an iron hammer beats the imperfections off of it and it beats the impurities. I'm not saying anyone's going to beat you. But what I'm, what I'm saying is that accountability doesn't always feel good. Accountability doesn't always feel like you, you care. Accountability, when the Holy Spirit begins to mold you and shape you, because we pray this prayer, God, make me the way that you, you want me to be. Make me ready for what you have for me. And when God brings out that hammer of accountability in our life, and we begin to chase after the Spirit, and we begin to feel that conviction, we begin to feel that accountability, it's not always fun, but the reality is you and I will miss out on being molded into the very thing that God's called us to be if we refuse refuse to go under the hammer of accountability but we will never have accountability like that in our lives if we do not build relationships and that's what the church is about you want to have that kind of intimacy and closeness to the holy spirit we build that relationship because he's willing to build it on his side. You want to have some, some men in here have prayed prayers to have other men that were on fire for Christ and were wanting to live that kind of life so that they could go to and that they could share with. And guess what? God is willing to have that for you. And that's designed to be here right at the church, but we've got to build relationships. Same with our women, same with our children. The fact that your children can come here and be around other students that are doing their absolute best to walk it out for Christ and to be encouraged by one another. None of those things happen if we do not build relationships. Understand what I'm saying. Peter was only able to correct these gentlemen because there had to be some kind of love. There had to be some kind of relationship. There had to be some kind of brotherhood there where he could speak the truth and that they would accept that conviction. The second point is this, that the Holy Spirit will always point us back to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit will always point you and I back to the Word of God. Understand, you want to be led by the Spirit? Do I want to be led by the Spirit? Absolutely. But sometimes we can get led by our emotions, and it doesn't exactly align with the Word of God. If you truly want to be led by the Spirit of God, we must dive into God's Word. Because God will never lead against his spirit. God will never lead against his word is what I meant to say. God will never lead uh, against his word. He will never say something to you that contradicts the word of God. He will never do it. And so as we are looking to be led by the spirit of God, we have to align things with his word. And it, like, it gives us more confidence. It gives us more confirmation that that's exactly what he's speaking to us. Because the word of God is a guide to our feet. He's a guide to our path. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. When you pray for clarity, when you pray for guidance, a big part of being guided is trusting God's word for exactly what it says. It's seeking out his word. It's you and I choosing to go to his word and stand on it when things get tough. If you and I really want to be led by the Spirit of God, 
And listen, this isn't no discouragement. I truly believe that if you struggle with something like that in your life, reading the word, or it's hard to get that time in, do what you can. There's, it's so beautiful because I believe that God blesses when we give him what we got. If you have five minutes, give him five minutes. If you just can open up the verse of the day and chew on that, give him that. Whatever you can do to start. But there's something beautiful when you and I just begin to know God's word and we allow it to take place in our life. This is what Hebrews 4.12 says that the word does inside of us. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude of the heart. God's word is not, it's not just a lamp, not just a guide, but it, it, is, it is a weapon for our lives. When you look at the armor of God, you'll realize the only weapon you and I are given is the, is the word of God. It's our sword. And so you and I are able to use that word when things come against our marriages. You and I can use that word when things come against our children. You and I can use that word when things are coming against our thought life, when we're struggling with things. Whatever the case be, God's word is not irrelevant. It is timely, and it is active, and it is sharp, and it is speaking to our lives. Point three is this. I believe the Holy Spirit brings unity to the church and clarity to our lives. I'll never forget, I was asked to preach at a church. It was a startup church. It was almost a year, uh, a year old. I'm not talking about today. Um, I, I'm talking about in McAllister, Oklahoma, there was a church called The Rock, and it's still there today. A good friend of mine in Aubrey, um, uh, they had started this church, and they'd asked us to come speak. And so me and Aubrey was there. We, we drove down the night before, and I'd already finished my, my sermon notes we were hanging out and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I want you to preach on the Holy Spirit. And I was like, you're really going to wait till all my notes are finished? Like, you couldn't say this at the beginning. You're going to say this at the end. Like, 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 why on earth, God, are you doing this to me? And, and I'm so frustrated. I'm like, you know what? I've got a message. That's what I'm sticking to. That's what I'm preaching. And I'm sitting on the chair that night looking at my notes. We'd stay the night at their house. And one of the pastors look at me and they go, are you ready for tomorrow? I was like, yeah, man, I'm excited. And they said, you know, you ought to preach on the Holy Spirit. We just haven't had somebody preach on the Holy Spirit. And, and I mean, I just looked over at her and I was like, okay, God, okay. But that's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. He brings unity to our lives. If it wasn't for that confirmation, if it wasn't for that clarity, I could have just completely dismissed that. But that's why relationships are so important. That's why other people that seek after the Spirit of God are so important. And I want to read you something, Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. It says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and there is one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. It sounds like to me, this verse in Ephesians, the four verses that we see here, it sounds like God is a really big fan of unity. It sounds like his spirit brings about unity. It sounds like to me, I can only imagine what the church would be like if we were more unified and that if we strive to live in unity with one another, that when people seen us as the church they would see how close-knit that we were. 
They would see that God's spirit is alive and active, that, that he moves in unity. And there's something about it in a world today that is divided over absolutely everything. There's something about unity that people desire. There's something about unity people want where they can see people gather and join and aid the vision of other people. You know, I truly believe if I can have the worship band come up, I truly believe that if we will be sensitive to the spirit and that if we'll grow in the spirit, this is what I believe. I believe you and I have so much potential. I'm going to read to you Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 40 through 46. And, and as they're coming up here and getting situated, I'm just going to read verses 40 and 41. It says that when Peter had gotten on talking to these men, and after he got done preaching the gospel, it says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That as he preached the, the true move of God, as he preached the word of God, there was 3,000 people. Think about this with me for a second. 3,000 people were added to the church that day. I think that as you and I really explore that, as we look into that, we realize there was something that the world was longing for and is longing for that only the church can fill. I believe that I was talking to a lady the other day and she said, James, church just isn't what it was when I was a kid. I remember that we would fellowship. I remember that we would be there. It seemed like all day. I remember that we would hang out and that we would talk. And it's like so many times now you see people go in, they attend the service and they get out. But the true power, I think a lot of times in church and us gathering is the fellowship. I think it's in the relationships that we build. I, I think it's in, uh, I'll be honest with you, man. I probably have scared your kids at one point because at one point they were new. And I, man, I, even new kids, man, I just said, man, I love you. It, like a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them probably, you know, just, it kind of takes some of them, but I mean that. I mean that. I think that God's desire for the church is that we would just continue to pour in people's life and love on people. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we really have that revelation. And we set that at the forefront of our mind that that's what this thing is about. I want to read you something as we close tonight or this morning. I want to just read something to you. This is the rest of Acts 2 verses 42 through 46. Just listen to this with me just for a second. This is what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. 
that's the kind of community that I want to build. That's the kind of thing that I want to cultivate in our community where people understand that they can come to home church and that they're going to be accepted and that they're going to be loved on and that we're not going to question where they've been and we're not going to make jokes when they miss service and, and, and say things about their attendance, but that we would just be so happy that they are here again for us to love on them and pour into them and be available for them. That's the kind of church that I want to be. That's the kind of people that I think make God proud. That's the kind of people that when on judgment day, you and I stand in front of him, he says, I know that guy. I know that family. I know that church because they lived just like I lived. And it wasn't a front and it wasn't a game and it wasn't about reputation, but there was something sincere in their heart that longed to be the church that Jesus died for and the church that Peter stood for on that day. Hear what I'm saying. I'm gonna tell you a quick story and then we're gonna pray it out. My wife and I, it wasn't last night because I know we had tornado sirens last night, but it was the last time in Shawnee that we had tornado sirens, I think may have been a couple weeks ago. And, and it's late at night, stupid weather app, it said that we didn't have anything to worry about. I go to bed and I wake up to sirens. I'm not upset, but just could have let a brother know. <laughs> I'm sleeping, my wife wakes me up, there's sirens. I'm a big sissy when it comes to storms, I'll admit it. My wife don't care. We're sitting there and I'm like trying to wake up. I hear the sirens, I'm instantly panicked. We hear this, just, if you could hear that. We hear that on our door, just pounding and pounding and pounding. And all I'm thinking is, man, somebody came to my house to take cover, but like they don't know, I don't got a storm shelter. So I guess we, we, we gone together, I don't know. So my wife's like, check the door. Like, and I'm, I'm thinking like, let's get to the bathroom. Like, sorry about them. Uh, <laughs> I'm being honest. And uh, well, kind of, I checked the door. Um, and so we're sitting there. And when I open that door, hear what I'm about to tell you. When I open that door, our neighbor across the street, her name's Diana, battling cancer, old lady, mid sixties, whatever the case was. She, she came to our house in the middle of a tornado siren. Listen to what I'm telling you. She came to our house in the middle. I, have, I realize I offended some people. I apologize. Uh, let's move on and then just listen to the rest of the story. If you want to talk after service, Lance is my bodyguard. Um, you have to get through him. <laughs> she wasn't old. She's not old. I'm going to stop. Um, but I'm... Uh, why did you do this to me? Um, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, she was in her mid-60s and she was older than me. She's like a mother to me. And she, I opened the door and I realized it's her. And this lady had struggled in the midst of tornado sirens pouring down rain. She had went from her house across the street all the way to my home just to make sure that we had a tornado shelter for our family, that she was inviting us over. And then, like when it was about to get bad, and I was so blown away by this. And for the next couple of weeks, I was convicted because I was like, God, help me love like that. Because I wasn't even going to answer the door. <laughs> My point in what I'm saying is last night, I went over there to check on her and also make sure she had my number so she didn't do that again. And we sat down together and I said, hey, I just want you to know, like, you have convicted my
my heart. I said, because she's a believer. And I said, I cannot stop thinking about what you did that night. And she sat there and she said, honey, we're the church. We have to look out for one another. My heart hurts because I have family members and I have people that have seen a really bad representation of the church and because of that don't want to go back. My heart hurts because I know that sometimes you come here with a need that's bigger than just setting down and there's people that you need to talk to and there's counsel that you need and that there's men that are able to be a father figure to a young man and that there's women that are able to be a father or a a mother figure to a young lady but my point in what I'm saying is this we were meant to be so much more than just attendees we were meant to be so much more than just the people that show up and go home and consume and never contribute. God's got something on the other side for you of serving. God's got something on the other side for you if you would just lay it down and you would allow Him to use you. There's trades in here that young men would be blessed to learn. There's advice in here that a young lady would give everything to hear from you, to have a cup of coffee with somebody, to be loved on by somebody, to just be invested in and poured in, to have a friend that they can go to at 2 a.m. and at 3 a.m. when life is hard and there's no show and there's no praise you're going to get for being there but it's the simple fact that we're the church and it's our responsibility to look out for one another just hear what I'm saying so when we talk about being the church this morning I hope that you would understand it's bigger than you and I I hope that you'd understand that it only comes by you and I being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to finish that work that He started in our lives. I hope you understand that when you think about the times where you don't want accountability and you, and you don't want community and you want to be left alone, I understand that. But there's somebody that needs you and that's why you can't quit. There's somebody that could use you and that's why God has you here. There's somebody that would be blessed by a relationship with you But we never know unless we surrender ourselves and pick up the image of the church that Christ had and not what the Americanized church have decided on that we're going to treat this like some kind of uh, resort and just lay our lives out for this thing. And so here's what I'm going to do as we go into prayer, as we go back into worship, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you that if you're that person only you know I'm not asking you to I'm not even asking you to raise a hand I don't need to know only you and God know if you're that person that's been hurt by the church your your image of what the church is has been so corrupted because some of the hurt that you've experienced some of the things that you've gone through some of the things that you've seen in the church and to be honest it's kept you from attending for some time now if that's you I want you to know that Christ is saying give it another shot let him love you let them be there for you if that's you I want you to know God loves you deeply and greatly and he desires on you to be here because we look at the church and this is going to be so cliche what I say we look at the church and we expect that only perfect people will be there but yet we'll go to a gym where people are getting their lives together and think nothing 
of it. Can I tell you, there are trying and failing people that need grace and mercy just like you do in the church. And I'm not saying you got to be their best friend, but I'm saying uh, do not rob yourself of the gift of fellowship because of anger and hurt and past offense. Trust God because the church is meant to be more than that and He's got a place for you. If you're somebody in the church that says, man, I have set and I have consumed for too long and I want to be a part. I want to be a contributor. I want to be a mentor. I want to be, I want to help wherever I can. If that's you, my prayer for you today is that you wouldn't lose sight of that hunger and that you wouldn't lose sight of that vision. And when you go to ignore that on the inside of you, something would come inside of you and say, it's bigger than you. I've got something for you on the other side of serving. I've got something for you on the other side of just laying it down. God wants to use you. And it doesn't always look like this, and it won't always look like this. But the reality is each role plays such an important part in the body of Christ. And I want you to know that. And here's the thing, if I never want to leave without giving somebody the opportunity of salvation. And so here's what I want to do. If, if you're that person that you listen to this message today and you say, I want to belong to something like that. I need that in my life. I can only imagine if I'd have had that when I was going through this circumstance, what it, how much better it would have been. If you're somebody that craves for that and longs for that, for a God that's never going to give up on you, that's going to meet you right where you're at, for a church that desires to walk alongside things with you, if that's you, I just want to pray for you really quickly. And if you would, repeat this prayer. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to come up front unless you want to. But I just want to say this prayer, and I want you to just repeat it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for dying for my sin. I thank you that you rose again so that I could ask the question today, what now? But Lord, I give myself to you. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin. I ask that you would come alongside me and do life with me. God, remind me when I mess up that it's not about me being perfect. It's about me being purchased. Lord, I thank you. I give it all to you. I accept this new life in Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, thank you so hey, would much you for stand and worship in. with us? Just if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more messages or find a service time, you can visit us at our website, homechurchtecumsa.com, for more information. Thank you again, and until next time, love God, do good, and be a friend. Be blessed.